I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Welcome to this podcast of The People's Pharmacy. You can find previous podcasts and more information on a range of health topics at peoplespharmacy.com. When the days get short and the nights get long, some people have a hard time getting out of bed. Could they be suffering from SAD? This is The People's Pharmacy with Terry and Joe Graydon. Seasonal Affective Disorder, or SAD, may affect as many as 10 million Americans. Is there a difference between SAD and ordinary depression? People who are susceptible to SAD often feel irritable or pessimistic in the winter. They may have trouble concentrating and lose interest in usual activities. Our guest today was an early pioneer in developing treatments for SAD. What should you know about light therapy? Coming up on The People's Pharmacy, learn about defeating seasonal affective disorder. In The People's Pharmacy Health Headlines, masks can help prevent the spread of viral infections during a pandemic. That's the conclusion of a research review in JAMA Network Open. The authors wanted to know whether the use of face masks could reduce transmission of respiratory pathogens during the next pandemic. They reviewed the evidence that has been collected over the last three years of COVID-19. Masks alone are not adequate, but consistent use of high-quality, well-fitting masks can make a difference. The investigators conclude... Available evidence strongly suggests that masking in the community can reduce the spread of SARS-CoV-2 and that masking with the highest quality masks that can be made widely available should play an important role in controlling whatever pandemic caused by a respiratory pathogen awaits us. There's a new COVID variant circulating in Europe. It's been labeled JN.1 and is a mutation of the parola strain BA2.86. Infectious disease experts are worried that it may be more transmissible than previous versions of the Omicron variant. Along with many of the typical symptoms of COVID-19, the parola variant frequently causes eye irritation, a skin rash, or mouth ulcers. JN.1 was first detected in the U.S. in September. Scientists expect the updated COVID booster to work nearly as well against JN1 as against previous variants. Even people who are vaccinated should be careful, though. No vaccine has yet proved to provide complete protection against SARS-CoV-2. A review in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease evaluates the role of diet. According to the evidence from cross-cultural studies, plant-based diets reduce the risk of developing dementia. That would include the traditional diets of China, Japan, India, and many Mediterranean countries. In comparison, a meat-heavy Western-style diet raises the risk. Higher consumption of hamburgers, barbecue, and other red meat, along with ultra-processed foods made with refined grains and sugar, seems especially dangerous. Eating meat increases inflammation, insulin resistance, and advanced glycation end products, which are all risk factors for Alzheimer's disease. 
Legumes, fruits, and vegetables, especially green vegetables, seem to offer protection. Based on the current American diet and the usual 20-year lag between dietary change and dementia, the authors predict that Alzheimer's disease will be 50% more common by 2038. It suggests that people who give up ultra-processed foods in favor of real food could lower their chance for dementia. One of the most well-studied strategies to prevent cognitive decline is exercise, but you don't have to run marathons to benefit. A new study in the Annals of Internal Medicine demonstrates that practicing Tai Chi, a form of martial art that emphasizes slow movement, can improve cognitive function. That's in sharp contrast to the results of a new anti-amyloid drug like Lakembi. Those pricey Alzheimer's medications did not help people improve their cognitive scores, but merely slowed the inevitable deterioration. The new study included roughly 300 older people who were worried about their memories. The volunteers who practiced cognitively enhanced Tai Chi Chuan twice a week for six months improved their scores 3.1 points on the Montreal Cognitive Assessment Scale. In comparison, those in the standard Tai Chi practice group improved 1.7 points, whereas those in the stretching group did not improve. The lead author told NPR that the level of improvement with Tai Chi represents three extra years of healthy functioning. When hospitals are busy, patients who show up in the emergency department may have to wait a long time before they can be admitted to the ward. French researchers report that an overnight stay prior to admission can be harmful to older patients. The investigators reviewed records of people at least 75 years old who came to the ED between December 12th and 14th of 2022. They compared the outcomes for people admitted before midnight and those who had to wait from midnight until 8 the next morning. Those who spent the night in the ED were more likely to die in the hospital. And that's the health news from the People's Pharmacy this week. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon. And I'm Joe Graydon. In the middle of the summer, we enjoy long days with lots of sunshine. The sun comes up early and goes down late. But now the days are getting shorter. In Madison, Wisconsin, the sun sets before 5 p.m. Does the lack of sunlight impact our mental health? Today we're talking about seasonal affective disorder, also called SAD. What is it? And what can we do about it? Our guest today is Dr. Norman Rosenthal. He is a psychiatrist and scientist who first described SAD in 1984 and pioneered light therapy as a treatment. Dr. Rosenthal is currently clinical professor of psychiatry at Georgetown University School of Medicine. He's the author of several books, including his most recent, Defeating SAD, Seasonal Affective Disorder a guide to health and happiness through all seasons. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy, Dr. Norman Rosenthal. Thank you. Thank you. Dr. Rosenthal, it's hard to believe, but more than four decades ago, you coined the term SAD for Seasonal Affective Disorder. And I think that's one of the best acronyms in medicine so my first question is, what got you interested in SAD? Well, the 
first clue when I look back was my own seasonality. In South Africa, where I was born and raised, the seasons are very mild. When I came up to New York City, it was quite a shock. Originally, it was the summer, the days were long, and I was giddy with delight. And I thought, well, that's just because I'm in a new country and in a new city. But in retrospect, the long days were also driving my exuberance. And then after daylight savings time came, I didn't know what hit me. And I felt a rhythm of up and down that went on for three years through my residency. And, um, you know, I managed. I, I hung in through the winter. I played and enjoyed myself in the summer. But uh, when I came to the National Institute of Mental Health here in Bethesda, Maryland, my colleagues and I encountered a scientist who actually had much more severe seasonal problems than I did. And uh, we had the idea to expose him to very bright light in the wintertime. And he came out of his depression, which was a wondrous thing to observe. But then I thought, you know, we're never going to get a story unless we can collect a, a group of people that we can do controlled studies with and define uh, who are these people and uh, how do they respond to light, etc. So with that in mind, I went to a, a journalist here at the Washington Post and I said, would you be willing to run an article? We just had one person, but I have a few more people who've given us stories like this. And she was all on board. And then we got thousands of responses from all over the country. It was before the internet. So they all came in letters from all the states, especially the northern ones. And I sent them questionnaires, which asked them questions pertaining to the things I had seen that changed during the seasons. And from that, I put together the syndrome, uh, which we then explored, and that was the beginning of it. Well, Dr. Rosenthal, we remember those days when you could recruit patients for a study through the newspaper. That'd be pretty hard nowadays because nobody reads actual print <laughs> newspapers. But you say you put together the elements of the syndrome. Would you explain that, please? What are the elements of seasonal affective disorder? Well, I read through these interviews, these filled-out questionnaires, and had a growing sense of excitement because in psychiatry, there is such heterogeneity, meaning that people are so different from one another, even if they carry the same diagnosis. But these people had a sort of monotony about their symptom patterns that was thrilling to me because it suggested that there might be some underlying biological connection that then would be more testable than if you had just a general population of depressed people. So here was a typical story. When October comes, I feel slowed down. I can't get my work done. It's difficulty getting up in the morning. It's hard to keep to my diet. I get cravings for sweets and starches. I fail at my work. My relationships seem to deteriorate. And so I get depressed and it lasts through the winter. And in the spring, I begin to come to life again. So that variance of that particular story, 
I read again and again. And as I read one after the other, I thought, well, we've got a syndrome here because these people don't know each other, and yet they could be copying from each other's playbook. And uh, so that's when uh, I put pieces together, and with the help of my colleagues at the NIH, we ran the first cohort from the summer into the winter, into the autumn, to see would they get depressed on cue. And one of my colleagues said to me, won't you look stupid if they don't get depressed? <laughs> and I thought, well, you know, I've been depressed and down in the winter, so I think they will be. And, you know, it's okay to look a bit stupid. That's not such a bad thing. Lots of us do it accidentally. So in any event, they went into depression as on cue. And we put them through a controlled study of light therapy, and they, they responded. And uh, that was the beginning of this four-decade, very exciting adventure. Now, you say a controlled study of light therapy. How do you do a controlled study of light therapy? That's such a great question, you know, because we have struggled to find a good control. The first one was bright light versus dim light. And the dim light actually was yellow so that it had a sort of placebo effect. You know, you could have the yellow light, or you could have the white light, and we tried to camouflage the fact that the intensity was different. And that proved to be uh, that the, this, the bright white light was more effective. But then many people said, well, they could have guessed that, they could have known that. And so went uh, a long effort on many researchers' parts to find the best placebo. And finally, a colleague of mine, Dr. Charmaine Eastman, came up with an iron generator. You know, these ionizers have been used as uh, air cleansers, and they give off negative ions. And she went a step further and deactivated the iron generator. And found that the bright light was better than the iron generator, even though the expectations of the two treatments was equivalent. And that became a sort of standard control treatment. And basically, every control treatment has more or less worked. So the cumulative effect of all these positive studies, including ones which contained placebos that were generally agreed upon to be plausible and, uh, you know, they, that they were truly blind to what our hypothesis was, and have all shown uh, collectively this very powerful effect of bright light versus whatever else we used. Now, Dr. Rosenthal, we'll talk a little bit more about light therapy in a moment, but first, I'm curious, how does SAD seasonal affective disorder differ from other kinds of depression? Well, the first very typical way it differs is by its temporal association with a season. Um, the other thing is that the picture of depression can vary between what's called typical and what's called atypical. In the typical classical depression, people eat less, sleep less, lose weight. That's one kind of depression, but that's not usually what people with SAD do. They eat more, especially sweets and starches. They gain weight. They sleep more. 
it's more of a kind of hibernation type depression than a sort of overactivated, agitated kind of depression. So from a point of view of symptom pattern, it often differs, but also the key difference is the timing. And I was going to say the response to light. However, more recently, light has been shown to be much more generally effective, not exclusively on seasonal affective disorder, but on other kinds of depressions as well. Do we have any idea how many people suffer from seasonal affective disorder? We've done population studies, and our best estimate is that about 5% of the general population adults uh, suffer from SAD, and another 10% from a less severe variant, which we call the winter blues. And these are not hard and fast distinctions, because somebody could have the winter blues one winter, and then the next winter, maybe they have got deadline pressures and they are stuck in, in the office and they have to do their uh, work for the deadlines and they could have a real case of SAD the next winter. And then the following winter, it's easier. They may go back and just have the winter blues. But if you look at it at any given time, about 5% will respond that they have really significant troubles with the winter of the kind that occur in SAD. And a 10% more would uh, say, yes, they have trouble, but it's not disabling. It just interferes with their best functioning. And of course, this varies with latitude, you know, and with weather patterns. So it's going to be much worse, for example, in New Hampshire than it is in Florida. You're listening to Dr. Norman Rosenthal, clinical professor of psychiatry at Georgetown University School of Medicine. He was one of the first scientists to identify SAD. His most recent book is Defeating SAD, Seasonal Affective Disorder, a guide to health and happiness through all seasons. After the break, we'll learn more about the links between latitude and SAD. Is this condition especially prevalent in northern places like Scandinavia? What are the criteria for selecting light therapy? Can you get light therapy outside as well as from a light box? How long should the exposure be for effectively alleviating SAD? You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. This podcast is made possible in part by Cocovia, backed by 20 years of scientific research and the maker of the most proven and concentrated flavanol extract in the market today, CocoPro Cocoa Extract. Cocoa flavanols are among the most studied plant-based bioactives today and are clinically proven to promote cardiovascular and brain health for the long term, supporting a strong heart and better memory. Get 15% off your order of any Cocovia product by using the discount code PPOD15. Learn more at Cocovia and remember that discount code is PPOD15. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.
Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is made possible in part by Cocovia Dietary Supplements. Cocovia Cardio Health is offered in both convenient capsule and powder formats, with each serving containing 500 milligrams of cocoflavanols to support heart health. More information is available at cocovia.com. Do you ever get the winter blues? When the days get short, do you find yourself more irritable or on the edge of tears? Are you likely to feel stressed or anxious? Have you noticed changes in appetite or sleep patterns? The farther north you go, the shorter the days get. When we visited Tromsø, Norway in the summertime, it was light nearly 24 hours around the clock. That city is north of the Arctic Circle, so they experience midnight sun, but during the winter, they have hardly any daylight. How does that affect people's mood? Turning to the United States, how does living in North Dakota or Minnesota compare to living in Texas or Florida? Our guest first described SAD-SAD, or Seasonal Affective Disorder, in 1984 after experiencing it himself. Dr. Norman Rosenthal is a psychiatrist and scientist who pioneered light therapy as a treatment for seasonal affective disorder. He's clinical professor of psychiatry at Georgetown University School of Medicine. Dr. Rosenthal is the author of several books, his most recent being Defeating SAD, Seasonal Affective Disorder, a guide to health and happiness through all seasons. Dr. Rosenthal, you just mentioned, uh, I'll call it latitude and climate. And so I'm wondering, do people in tropical climates develop seasonal affective disorder? I mean, what about in South Africa or in the Caribbean? Are people just always happy and having a great time, never experience seasonal affective disorder? And do people in oh, let's say Finland and Norway and Wisconsin, do they always suffer from it? Well, let's take your questions one at a time. There is... (laughs) (laughs) He he did pile up a few. (laughs) There is SAD all over the world. In South Africa, you'll have more of it in Cape Town, which is further from the equator than, say, in Johannesburg. But it's definitely been described there. And it's also been described in Australia. However, if you look at the continental, if you look at the distribution of the continents on a map or on the globe, you will see that it's skewed north, that there's a greater land mass in the north than in the south. So that the northern countries, by and large, are more north than the southern countries are south. Of course, there are exceptions like Patagonia and other things that are very far south. But for the most part, the north is the more affected. That said, remember the real cause of SAD is the lack of light. So anything that causes light to be lacking is going to be a vulnerability factor for SAD. So, for example, there are tropical areas that have, they don't have the dark and light seasons connected with the sun. They may have it connected with the monsoon winds. So, if there are monsoon winds that block out the sky, 
here, for example, in the mid-Atlantic and I know in the Northeast, we've had this tropical storm that clouded the sky for like three or four days. And people who are vulnerable, are vulnerable to SAD, really, really felt it. Uh, I felt it. And it was quite gloomy and overwhelming. So in places where there's heavy cloud cover, uh, you will get sad. Now, for example, Hawaii, which we all think of as sunny, we think of it as sunny because when we go there, we are in holiday resorts for for the most part, and they are on the sunny side of hillsides. But on the other side, where the shadows fall from these mountains, live people who are not in these upscale hotels. They are down in the valley, in the shadow, and they are often experiencing sad. That's not a very well-known fact. Uh, and the, the reason I really raise it is to really emphasize that it's not just a seasonal problem, it's a light deprivation problem. So that means that if you are in a basement apartment or in any situation where the light is not easily accessed, in uh, like Manhattan where you can be right up against another building, all of these settings are such that there's not much light and you're going to be vulnerable if you have that biological tendency. Has anyone done a study of a place like Tromsø in Norway, which is north of the Arctic Circle? And in the summer, it's like it's sunlight all day long and most of the night. So you have to have dark shades on your windows if you want to go to sleep. But in the winter, it's dark, really dark for like 23 hours of the day, you maybe get an hour or two of sunlight. Has anybody studied to see if people in places like Tromsø are more depressed? You know, it's a wonderful question, and Tromsø is a wonderful town. And I did go and visit there personally in the midst of the winter. Some pharmaceutical company was running their symposium at that time as a PR stunt was the middle of the winter, and people were hunkered down into their homes. Uh, the northern lights were on display, um, and it was a quiet, peaceful time. But then when I went back in the summertime, people were fishing from the bridges like at one and two o'clock in the morning, and the behavior was completely different. The question of whether there is much SAD in Tromso is a debatable one. There is a uh, New Yorker article that goes uh, that that was written maybe forty or so years ago by a man named Westberg or Weisberg, and he documented going up to Tromso and how much people were complaining about the winter. But apparently, it just wasn't the thing to complain about the winter. So they would say some things like, "Oh, I'm feeling, I'm feeling terrible right now," uh, you, you know, in these dark days. But really, it's not so bad. Everybody, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It was obviously a cultural bias not to complain, and but a lot of complaining occurred nonetheless. The other thing is, realistically, you don't end up in such a northern town north of the Arctic Circle, unless you have a certain amount of resilience with regard to your seasonality. 
Uh, lots of people, incidentally, there when they fly south for a, a vacation in the middle of the winter, they fly south to Oslo for a vacation. And if you have to fly south to Oslo to get the sun, you know, you know, you're in you're in trouble. You <laughs> Pretty know, desperate. But, yes, and, and we too have had the opportunity to visit Tromsø, and it's in the lo- summertime. In the summer, when it was sunny all day long and into the night, and it was a delightful experience. Dr. Rosenthal, we have had some uh, comments on our website that are related to SAD, and I would like to read you one of them for your uh, comment. Lindsay wrote, I live way up north and have suffered badly with SAD for years and years. Light boxes don't help. I refuse to take antidepressants. Sam E. helps a little, but I'm just miserable for eight months of the year. I'd move south if I could. Sometimes more thyroid medication through the dark months help. And I could actually add my data point to Lindsay's, which is I, too, find that I need a higher dose of levothyroxine in the wintertime. Your your response to Lindsay's comment? Well, my response first and foremost, is absolute fascination because I would really want to sort of drill down and find out what is going on here with the light. You know, why isn't the light doing any good? And I would look at the kind of lights being used, make sure there was enough light. You know, people are, some people are going to use more light. I would want to be sure that her eyes were functioning well, that she wasn't developing cataracts, for example, that could block the light. And I would like to see what kind of light box is she using. Is she using a teeny-weeny one, which is supposed to give out the so-called 10,000 lux, which is a measurement, but isn't big enough? Should she be using more than one light box? So I would go into it like Sherlock Holmes, and try and figure out what is going on with the lights. But then I would shift gears and say, there are many other things you can do, even besides antidepressants. And this is, and I know it's it's kind of not cool to say in my book, so I'm sort of absolutely minimizing that, that, that comment, but that is the point that I have made in my new pitch here. Even when you look at light therapy studies done in in research settings, you see that the number of people, the percentage of people who don't just respond but actually remit, which means that they virtually have no measurable symptoms because they're doing so well with their treatments, the number or the percentage of people that really respond to that degree is rather small. It's like 30 or 40%. So this is like a secret that, that 30 or 40% don't feel 100% better with the light therapy. So you need to add things. And that's why I say you've got to add exercise. You've got to add socialization. You've got to add cognitive behavior therapy, which is a wonderful tested kind of treatment for SAD. And you know, exercise outside with natural lights. You can't compete with a dome of the sky in terms of a light box. Um, one of the patients I mentioned did not like uh, the light 
therapy, she instead did uh, meditation. She did a sort of meditation, which was very helpful. And in fact, I've written about meditation for SAD. So you've got to be very skillful. As I point out, you know, the, the, the Greek poet Archelaus said, the fox has many tricks, but the porcupine has one big trick. And I say that's how we should be when we deal with our sad. We need to be like a porcupine with our big trick, which is our light therapy, but we also need to be like the fox with many little tricks, which collectively will help us get back to feeling almost as good as we do in the summer. Dr. Rosenthal, let's drill down on light therapy. You've already described that it's not perfect, but it's pretty darn good. What are the different devices? What should people be looking for when they start shopping around for a light box? I suspect if they go online, they'll find many options. How do they pick the right one for them? And then how does the light box compare to natural sunlight, even in the winter? Because even if you're in Wisconsin, you can still get some light if you go outside. Wonderful questions. Yeah, I, I think firstly, when you choose a light box, it needs to be big enough. And all the research studies that have shown effects of light have used light boxes with a surface area of at least one foot square. Uh, they should be produced by a reputable company that's been in business for a while, so you know that it has sort of tested stood the test of time, that it has met various standards, and that it stands by its products. So that's... Such as? You mean the, the names of the light boxes? I'm happy to give them to you. I've got them, you know, I've, I've, for the first time in Defeating Sad, I've actually given the names of light boxes. I would say the Daylight by Carex is an excellent one. The Sun Square or the Sun Ray by Sunbox is an excellent one. These are two very good brands. There's North Star. I've listed various ones. They, they're big enough. They've been around long enough, and they put out a decent amount of light. And I'm assuming that you have listed them in your book. Yes, absolutely. I really, you know, I have no financial agreements with any of these companies. I've never wanted to do that because it, I knew it would detract from my credibility. And um, but, I, but I've just, I thought finally, I really need to come out and be very specific. That's very helpful. That is very helpful. And how much light, that is to say, lux or whatever measurement we should use, should we be looking for? Uh, the classic amount now is 10,000 lux of light, about three feet away from the light source. Uh, and 10,000 lux, how much is that? It's how much light you'd get if you were outdoors on a cloudy day and you looked at the sky. That's about 10,000 lux. And for how long, either inside or outside? Well, how long is variable from person to person? It's like saying how much Tylenol should you take for your headache? Well, you know, one person may need only one and another person may need three. You know, it's variable in dosage. And, um, but I think the thing that I want to emphasize, because if you ask me, what do I do myself? 
with for my own seasonal affective disorder. I have got a number of light boxes around the house because I don't want to have to cart my light box around with me wherever I go. I have them in the bedroom. I have them in my study. I have them by the kitchen table. I have them in my gym room. Now, you know, that's, that's a lot of light boxes and it's a lot of money. And not everybody may be able to afford that. But if you compare it to what is a seven-day holiday, a seven-day vacation in Hawaii cost, it's probably much cheaper than that. And it lasts you all winter long, every single winter. So, you know, yes, uh, uh, one week in Hawaii is maybe much more fun than having light boxes all over the house. <laughs> but it's a, it's a matter of how do you choose to spend your money and yeah, it doesn't have to be so much. Do you leave, just leave the light boxes on and just walk from room to room? Or what if somebody said, well, I just want to buy one light box. I'll put it in my study. How long should I sit in front of that darn box? I would say, you know, at least 20 to 30 minutes in the morning. And, and I want to also mention that there are smaller lights, like they're the size maybe of a tablet, an iPad, or, you, you know, they're, they're and they're, they're quite good, and you could take a couple of them, and they're much easier to walk around the house with. And you can position them like in stereo, coming from both directions to be sure that a greater amount of your retina gets bathed in light. You are listening to Dr. Norman Rosenthal. He's a psychiatrist and scientist who first described seasonal affective disorder in 1984 and pioneered light therapy as a treatment. Dr. Rosenthal is clinical professor of psychiatry at Georgetown University School of Medicine. He has written a number of books, including The Gift of Adversity, The Unexpected Benefits of Life's Difficulties, Setbacks, and Imperfections, and his most recent, Defeating Sad, Seasonal Affective Disorder, A Guide to Health and Happiness Through All Seasons. After the break, we'll find out how people can use outdoor light to overcome sad. Does cognitive behavioral therapy help? How would someone recognize that they have seasonal affective disorder? We'll hear about the research that distinguishes SAD from other forms of depression. Can people do anything in the autumn? to prevent the onset of SAD? You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. This podcast is made possible in part by Gaia Herbs, for more than 30 years, Gaia Herbs has nurtured the connection between people and plants to deliver nature's vitality. Their full-spectrum formulas are designed to provide an herb's complete array of beneficial compounds with nothing artificial to get in the way. Learn more at GaiaHerbs.com. That's G-A-I-A-Herbs.com. <laughs> Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon. And I'm Joe Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is made possible in part by Cocovia Dietary Supplements, cocoflavanol supplements that support cognitive and cardiovascular health, made with a proven concentrated flavanol extract. 
More information available at cocovia.com. Are you less productive during the winter? Is it harder to get energized or organized? We're talking about how seasonal affective disorder affects people's emotions and behavior and what they can do to defeat SAD. Our guest is Dr. Norman Rosenthal. He is a psychiatrist and scientist who first described SAD in 1984 and pioneered light therapy as a treatment. Dr. Rosenthal is currently clinical professor of psychiatry at Georgetown University School of Medicine. Dr. Rosenthal is the author of several books, his most recent being Defeating Sad, Seasonal Affective Disorder, A Guide to Health and Happiness Through All Seasons. Dr. Rosenthal, we have just discussed light therapy for indoor situations. How can people use the outdoors, assuming there is some light outdoors and they're not above the Arctic Circle? uh, How do they use outdoor light to help their seasonal affective disorder? Well, I'm absolutely thrilled that you're asking this question because people often get so fixated around light boxes and indoor lights that they forget that they've got God's light box overhead as they walk outside. And the huge dome of the sky is going to give off more light, even on a cloudy day, than you're going to get from a light box. Now, of course, one of the problems is when it's a cloudy day with maybe a little bit of drizzle, what have you got? You've got a, a cap on, you've got a hat on, you've got a scarf, you've got a muffler. You're not seeing any of that wonderful light. So be sure to look up at that sky, even if it's cloudy. Of course, you're never going to stare straight at the sun. But look up at a cloudy sky and a magic combination is light plus exercise. You're going up and down hills. You're getting your high, intermittent, high-intensity exercise, going up and down hills. You're looking up at the sky, and all of a sudden, don't be surprised if your SAD just falls away and you feel so happy because it's a powerful combination. And I love the word combination because in SAD, the fox with its many tricks combines all these different tricks. So we've got exercise, we've got bright light, we've got light boxes inside, we've got social plans that we don't allow to drop off our agenda. We've got help with the training uh, with both aerobic and resistance training. We do a little bit of yoga. We meditate. We really embrace the winter in all its different aspects. And collectively, that's what's going to hold us through the winter with light therapy as the jewel in the crown. Let's talk a little bit about some of those individual aspects that add to the benefits of light therapy. I'm wondering if you would start with cognitive behavioral therapy. Well, cognitive behavior therapy has been thoroughly explored by my colleague, Dr. Kelly Rohan, up in Vermont. She's done wonderful work, and what she's found is that cognitive therapy was as good as light therapy in the first winter where they studied it. And then in the subsequent winter, cognitive behavior therapy actually prevented the recurrence of SAD better than the previous light therapy group. And 
it wasn't actually a surprise to me because when we asked our patients in our seasonal affective disorder studies at the NIH, what was the most useful thing you learned from your participation in the program? I thought they would say light therapy, but instead they said, understanding the nature of our illness. Because, you know, people are smart. And once they understand what causes what, they can think of all these inventive ways to overcome that cause and effect relationship. So Dr. Rohan shared a lot of her information on her studies with me, which I was able then to incorporate into my book. And she emphasizes the importance of behavior because SAD is an illness where your behavior contributes to the symptoms and you can modify it. So the worst thing you can do with SAD is to, when you wake up in the morning, pull the covers over your head because that's preventing you from seeing the light. Instead, if you got out of bed, looked out of the window, opened the curtains, put on your light box, you're doing behaviorally all kinds of little things that are going to make a huge difference. So the magical word about treating seasonal affective disorder, SAD, is combination. So if you combine with your light therapy, exercise, cognitive behavior therapy, a few winter vacations, maintain your social connections, and know and understand what are the factors that make you feel down and how can you reverse them, you will do a great job in managing your winter depression. Thank you for that, Dr. Rosenthal. I, I guess it's important for us to go back and review what is SAD, seasonal affective disorder. What are the symptoms? How would somebody know that they are vulnerable to maybe bad winter blues or, in fact, seasonal affective disorder? If you wonder, have I got seasonal affective disorder? Look back. How do I feel normally at Christmas time, at Thanksgiving? Am I the life and soul of the party or am I the one sitting in the corner because I'm feeling down? In fact, I don't even want to go to the parties. I don't want to celebrate. I don't want to make all these things that a lot of people say is necessary uh, for the holidays because I'm just not feeling myself. If you have that pattern, then you can say, do I need more sleep? Do I eat more? Do I gain weight? Do I withdraw from friends and family? Is it hard for me to get my work done? And this happens each year in the wintertime and it gets better in the spring and summer. Chances are you have seasonal affective disorder. I'd like to share a message that we got from Teresa. And it's a little different. And I wonder if she's doing the right thing. So help us come up with an answer for Teresa. She says, I really enjoy your program on KERA here in Texas. I profoundly suffer every winter from SAD, and it seems like everyone around me is unaffected. Things always seem more hopeful by February because I reside in the South. I'm always hopeful around March for the return of the light. My whole life revolves around the natural, the only thing that makes me happy. 
I prefer to work in the winter and be off in the summer, which is rarely possible, though. When it's a sunny day, I can't stand to have to leave the house. I just want to sit and look out at the sun, like I'm starved for those UV rays. On gloomy days, I prefer to go out for mundane activities. I reside in the South, but sunny days still seem like rare gold to me. If it's a sunny day, I love to stay home just staring out the window. The light means more than food, water, anything. If I had money, I'd book flights to the hemispheres according to the season. By that, I mean I would fly down to New Zealand in December while it's summer there. So what advice do you have for Teresa? The first thing I would say is that description is so beautiful because in one point in my writing, I quote the line, drink to me only with thine eyes and I will pledge with mine. The idea of drinking with the eyes is so profound to me because if you are one of those people who long for the light, you are like a thirsty man in the desert. And when you come up with a little bit of water on your tongue, it feels so wonderful. The receptors of your tongue are responding to the water and feeling so joyful. And that's how it is when you long for the light. So I really think Teresa's done a fantastic job of explaining it. Now, what's happening with Teresa is that she is very, very sensitive to the light. And even far into the South, she misses it terribly in the winter and craves it in the summer. So I've had some of those people who have actually moved down to the South. And even in the South, when there's a, a lot of light for most people, they have still needed to use light therapy to supplement their natural light, even though it's a sunny climate. So she just has the problem to a greater extent, and she needs to exercise these options that we've been describing to a greater degree than most people. Dr. Rosenthal, I'm going to raise an issue that is somewhat controversial now. You introduced the concept of seasonal affective disorder decades ago, and most people accept it. But apparently, some of your colleagues are now questioning whether it is a real thing. Can you tell us about the research and your reaction to it? Yeah, um, I know the research. What, what the researchers did was they looked at depression ratings in a large data set that was collected for various reasons, whether it was a, an insurance company or someone had these large data sets where they looked at parameters of various behaviors over the year, and they looked at depression as one of them. And when they looked at that, they did not find a winter peak. It was all kind of flat. But the problem was nobody really knew who these people were. I mean, were they people with summer depression? You know, they're people who get depressed every summer. They're people who get depressed every spring. They're people who get depressed at all kinds of different times of the year. So you've got a very mixed database. And those people who get depressed in the autumn, you see, remember, um, 
winter depression is not just winter. People are getting depressed already in September, some even as early as August, because the light is already waning in some parts of the country at that time. So August, September, October, November, December, January, February, March, people with SAD could be affected in all of those months. So that's half of their data. And the other half of the data, there may be summer depression, there may be all kinds of things. It's a mixed data set where the signal has been camouflaged. And in fact, until we looked at people longitudinally, the signal didn't emerge. People found that they looked at hospitalizations for depression and most occurred in spring and fall. Well, most papers people with SAD don't get hospitalized. It's not that kind of depression. So when you've got a heterogeneous data set and you're sampling people in this particular way, you are bound to miss a signal, whatever that signal happens to be. I've got colleagues who are working in similar areas where signals get camouflaged because of, like, let's say you looked for PMS. And, and you looked all over and you didn't, you, you looked at it not by when people's menstrual periods were, but when the seasons were. You wouldn't necessarily find any link at all. So it's the methodology that led to a negative finding. And then the negative finding was very boldly interpreted as a complete revolution in scientific discovery, uh, debunking, you know, 40 years of work, which I think was extremely a very kind self-interpretation of the data by the researchers. So I think that, yes, it made, you know, it's, it's a kind of man bites dog story as far as I'm concerned. And um, I don't think it's really been replicated. I don't think, you know, much has happened with it, but it does stand out there as an interesting controversial item that I think really doesn't have any bearing on debunking what really is hundreds of papers. Well, Dr. Rosenthal, before we conclude our our conversation today, I wonder if you can tell us, are there things that people who suspect they might have SAD can do in the autumn to prevent the onset of symptoms? That is an absolutely wonderful question, and I think we really need to have an autumn checklist. And so, may I read an autumn checklist yes, over here? Yes, please do. Because I have one right here in my book, and it's so important. Here is the checklist. One, ask yourself. One, have I purchased a light box or boxes for the winter? Two. Do I have at least one room in my home that is bright and inviting? Three, have I made plans for a winter vacation or two in the sun? Four, is this a good time to check in with my doctor and put her or him on notice that I'm entering my season of risk? Five, have I notified those close to me that I may need a bit more support from them in the coming months? Six, have I put a physical fitness program in place? If you start an exercise program before winter hits in full force, it will be easier to continue when your energy and motivation flag. Number seven, have I evaluated my outlook to see whether it could be improved? For example, 
can I view winter at least in part as a challenge and an adventure rather than an unmitigated pain in the neck, as it so often feels? And finally, how can I find beauty in this colorful season of autumn, resplendent with the fruits of summer? Dr. Norman Rosenthal, thank you so very much for talking with us on The People's Pharmacy today. Thank you so much for having me as a guest. You've been listening to Dr. Norman Rosenthal. He's a psychiatrist and scientist who first described seasonal affective disorder in 1984 and pioneered light therapy as a treatment. Dr. Rosenthal is clinical professor of psychiatry at Georgetown University School of Medicine. He's the author of several books, including Winter Blues, Everything You Need to Know to Beat Seasonal Affective Disorder, and Transcendence, Healing and Transformation Through Transcendental Meditation. His most recent book is Defeating SAD, Seasonal Affective Disorder, a guide to health and happiness through all seasons. Lynn Siegel produced today's show, Al Wadarski engineered, Dave Graydon edits our interviews, B.J. Lederman composed our theme music. This show is a co-production of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC, with The People's Pharmacy. The People's Pharmacy is made possible in part by Cocovia Dietary Supplements. Cocovia Memory and Focus is a unique formula made with a special blend of ingredients that work together to promote attention and support long-term memory. It supports five areas of brain performance in one capsule. More information at cocovia.com. Today's show is number 1,363. You can find it online at peoplespharmacy.com. That's where you can share your comments about today's interview. Tell us about your experience with SAD. Have you ever tried a light box? How well did it work for you? We'd like to hear about it. You can also reach us through email, radio at peoplespharmacy.com. Our interviews are available through your favorite podcast provider. You'll find the show on our website on Monday morning. At peoplespharmacy.com, you can sign up for our free online newsletter. Get the latest news about important health stories. When you subscribe, you also have regular access to information about our weekly podcast. So you can find out ahead of time what topics we'll be covering. In Durham, North Carolina, I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Thank you for listening. Please join us again next week. Thank you for listening to the People's Pharmacy Podcast. It's an honor and a pleasure to bring you our award-winning program week in and week out. But producing and distributing this show as a free podcast takes time and costs money. If you like what we do and you'd like to help us continue to produce high-quality, independent healthcare journalism, please consider chipping in. All you have to do is go to peoplespharmacy.com slash donate. Whether it's just one time or a monthly donation, you can be part of the team that makes this show possible. Thank you for your continued loyalty and support. We couldn't make our show without you.